listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Natalie Freeman. Today, we're so thrilled to welcome Maria Amparo Escandon to talk about her new novel, L.A. Weather. Before I introduce her, I wanted to remind you that Skylight Books is open for an in-store browsing, and you can always shop online 24-7 at www.skylightbooks.com. Maria Amparo Escandon is the author of the number one LA Times bestseller, Esperanza's Box of Saints and Gonzalez and Daughter Trucking Co. Named a writer to watch by both Newsweek and the LA Times, she was born in Mexico City and has lived in Los Angeles for nearly four decades. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am so excited to talk to you about this book and the Alvarado family and all of the hijinks and antics that they get up to in this book. Um, did you want to start by reading a little something for us? Um, yes, uh, I am going to um, read to you a, a passage that is a Patricia passage. Uh, there's three sisters, Claudia, uh, Olivia and Patricia. And this one is uh, a Patricia passage, okay? So um, here we go. After she dropped off her sisters and called her office to request a flex day off work, Patricia drove to Eagle Rock in Topanga. She'd hiked the Mosh Trail many times before and knew she'd have a decent phone signal in case Oscar tried to reach her. That was the birthday gift she wanted, to spend this perfect 72-degree day by herself, walking among chaparral and sagebrush, admiring the Santa Monica Mountains in the distance, and thinking hard about the state of things among the Alvarados. As her legs negotiated the uneven and sometimes dodgy climb along the dirt paths, her mind kept going back to a single question. How had her family become so disconnected? She remembered the days when everyone knew where everybody else was, what everybody else was doing. Every year, color-coded calendars were posted on the fridge and were updated daily by all involved. A tin can with markers sat on the countertop, yellow for Oscar, green for Kayla, blue for Claudia, pink for Olivia, red for Patricia, orange for Danielle, and black for family events. It was all there. Daniel's chess club and swimming competitions, Kayla's mammograms and gallery openings, Patricia's parties and weekend trips, Oscar's multiple errands around town, Olivia's school presentations, Claudia's marathons. 
birthday parties, quinceañeras, bat mitzvahs, weddings, holiday vacations, everything was shared. A rhythm, the way the Alvarados moved along the hours and days and weeks of those calendars year after year had served as a thread of sorts that tied her family together. But by the time her older sisters had gone to college in New York and Miami and had gotten married and moved to their respective homes, something had broken. The calendar had ceased to exist years ago. The markers still in the tin can had dried up and were now relegated to the top shelf with the sous vide cooker, the ice cream maker, and the creme brulee set still in its original box, aging undisturbed. It seemed to her that each member of her family was a top spinning on a surface by itself, unencumbered by what the other tops were doing or where they were going. What surprised her the most was the fact that they still met for Sunday family dinners, rain or shine, with or without husbands, with or without the twins. But people sitting at the table don't make a family. Monologues don't make a conversation. Even the most delicious meal meticulously prepared by Kayla didn't inspire anymore. And in the past year, she'd watched her father descend into apathy she didn't rule out depression, but she was more inclined to believe something was bothering him. Had she done enough to figure out what it was? She thought not, and this upset her. She wished she could pry open his mind and extract his pain, his worry, or was this deterioration part of the process of aging? She wondered if all families went through this emotional separation as the children grew up and the parents got older. Perhaps she had a heightened sensitivity to what was going on because she lived with Oscar and Kayla and could see the day-to-day -day decline in their care and affection for each other. Why did she live at home anyway? Was she hoping to hang on to the thread of days and weeks that connected her and her parents and sisters in the family calendar? She decided to ask her loyal Twitter tribe. Am I suffering a bad case of millennialism? Or am I justified to be comfortably living at my parents' house at 28? Share your thoughts. She posted her tweet, but deleted it almost immediately, suddenly feeling ashamed for herself at the thought that she might be closer to people she'd never met than to her own blood. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I love that you picked a, uh, a Patricia passage. I, I think I'm closest in age to her, so I did relate to her a lot, but I also did relate to uh, to both Olivia and Claudia as well. And so I guess we can we can start there. I wanted to talk about just the the theme of family that runs through the book. The book is about a family, the Alvarados, um, and it is such a. I could have read a book on each of them. They were they were so well. Uh, I would love to read a full. I book. could have written a book on each of them. <laughs> I'm, and I completely believe that because they were all so richly drawn portraits of people. Um, and I think part of that that came across as well because you got to see the passage of time throughout the year. The book takes place in 2016, um, and all books take place over a period of time. But could you talk a little bit about the choice to specifically set things apart by date and going through the calendar year um, and 
why you chose to do that, the significance of it, um, because we're also tracking the weather, which has specific incidents and happenings that were real life weather incidents that are portrayed in the book. So just a little bit about the, the idea and the process of breaking things down day by day and how that affects how you told this story. Sure. Um, well, as Patricia was saying in this passage that I just read, um, the family calendar on the refrigerator, you know, posted everybody's events, you know, sort of everybody was knowing what everybody else was doing. Um, and what I wanted is to have kind of a year in the life of this family. And uh, I don't know if you've heard people say sometimes, oh my God, what a year that was, you know, the grandma died, these happened, the dog got lost, you know, I mean, all the events, you know, um, somebody went bankrupt. I mean, there's just so many things that, you know, get thrown at us over a year's uh, span. And when we're talking about a family, it just multiplies by all the people involved. And so, I wanted to sort of have a portrait of this family over a year lifespan. And I picked 2016 uh, just because I'm from LA and I know that was a horrible drought and it was the end of this long drought that we had. And, and, I, and, and because the story is very tied to the weather and I think we all are in a way. And so I wanted to really track actual weather events and put them in the novel. So I did a lot of research, you know, if in the novel it says, you know, it, it, it rained, it rained in, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the real world. Uh, if, if it says, you know, that there was a Santana wind, you know, blowing, you know, uh, garden furniture around, uh, that's exactly what happened. And so it, there's a lot of reality in terms of weather events and how they affect this particular family. And so for me, going by the calendar um, also, um, you know, was important because I wanted to be true to the actual weather events. And how had you been tracking them? Uh, how, what's your relationship to the weather like? Had you been paying a lot of attention to them even before deciding to write this book? Or are you constantly checking the weather? Are you similar to Oscar, the patriarch of the <laughs> Alvarados in that way, keeping note of the comings and goings and all of that? Well, I, you know, um, I mean, I've been in LA, I don't know, almost 40 years. And of course, I love the weather. But you know, the weather is, you know, so um, balmy and nice, oftentimes that we sort of don't pay attention. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is there is a lot of weather there, there's a lot of weather. And um this particular um, story, I wanted to address the weather because I, I moved to New York for a short while. I was there for a couple of years and I met a lot of people from the East Coast who were, you know, sure that there was no weather in LA. Oh, there's no weather in LA, you know? And I go, what are you talking about? There <laughs> is weather in LA. What about the Santanas and the drought? And, you know, you can't water your garden. And, you know, there's this whole thing with the fires and, uh, I mean, the smoke. There's so much weather. And, and, and they just 
wouldn't get it. For them, weather is a change of seasons, you know, but we do have seasons as well. And so, I mean, and I'm not talking about the award season, <laughs> right? I'm talking about actual weather seasons. And so I sort of wanted to, you know, prove them wrong. And so I set out to write this novel and incorporate the weather from, you know, the LA weather. In the and, and the weather is so, which I, I think we forget a lot of the times, because like you said, we're not, we're not fully paying attention to it unless it's some sort of catastrophe that requires our attention, but the weather is so intimately connected to the land um, and the land that we're on, the, the planet and how we access the planet and use it for its resources and how we interact with it. And so I'm gonna try and ask some, uh, some vague questions because I don't want to spoil too much of this book for our listeners. I want them to go read it. So I'm going to ask some sort of open-ended questions that you can answer with as much or little information um, as you want. We'll, we'll try to avoid spoilers. Of yes, we're trying to avoid spoilers. So um, there are huge connections and parts of the story that um, have to do with the land. One of them is that Kayla's family home is in Mexico City um, and her connection to her parents' house who are no longer living, no longer there, um, and how keeping that house or visiting that house affect her and the decisions she makes with her own family. And then Oscar, the patriarch of the family, his descendants used to own land in on the West Coast, and he is dealing with that legacy as well. Um, so how did you connect the, the weather patterns and the ideas of weather to the, the idea of land and what that means to people's legacies? Well, obviously, I mean, for me, because I, um, I grew up in Mexico City, but I spent, uh, you know, most of my weekends and obviously all the vacations and summers at the family Hacienda which is in the state of Hidalgo. So, I mean, it was a big family house and everybody was there, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, you know, so at any given time, there maybe was 30 people there. So it was uh, like a big family reunion, but every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I spent a lot of a lot of time out in the field, you know, riding a horse or going up, you know, climbing trees and doing what kids do out in the field, getting dirty and, you know, getting lost and all of that. And so, um, so for me, um, you know, uh, by living in a big city, but having that awareness that just around, just a couple hour drive, you have, you have uh, Central Valley where, you know, um, we in California grow about half of all the produce that uh, uh, that is delivered to, to the rest of the country. You know, the chances, you know, every almond uh, that you eat, um, nine out of every 10 almonds you eat comes from the Central Valley uh, in the world. So California produces 90% or more give or take of, you know, almonds uh, in the world. And so that cornucopia, 
that uh, vastness, you know, having it so close. I went there to do research and I was just absolutely blown away by, you know, how fertile and how much production and at the same time, how threatened it is by the, the nature of, of the climate in, in California, which is desertic kind of, it's dry. And so bringing the water in to water all that produce and all that is, is very costly. And so um, I really came to appreciate that. And, um, and, and, and for me, it was important to put it in the novel and to have that connection with the land. Yes. And Oscar in particular, he has, uh, I think I wrote, I didn't fully quote it, but there, uh, there was a, I wrote the date though, August 4th, <laughs> because ah. everything, that was how I kept notes, which was so fun because I could keep and it, it made such an interesting way to read and remember the book too, because you sort of remembered it in this chronological sense. Um, right. But he talked about uh, the expansiveness of Los Angeles and the city in general, but how he knew that you could go five miles in one direction to Koreatown and find Korean food in a specific restaurant there, or you could go to the valley and find a farm where they're growing produce, or you could go to the city and do go to one of Claudia's restaurants or her friend's restaurants um, and things like that. And so I also, I felt like that expansiveness and specificity in writing about LA was so well-balanced. I'm mm -hmm. from Long Beach, so a little bit further south. And I'm not super familiar with the LA area or I haven't made myself familiar with it, but I found your version of it extremely accessible. And I really enjoyed it because I knew what you were talking about, but I didn't feel like an outsider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering how, either if you could talk about some of your favorite LA writing or what parts of LA inspire your sort of viewpoint of it in terms of how Oscar views it as well if that is I'm assuming a little bit of your viewpoint that it is so specific but also extremely broad and there are so many different pockets of it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if uh, maybe it would be okay for me to just read this one little little bit. Yeah uh, of course that talks about, um, you know, uh, Oscar and his views about the city, because I kind of share that. It's part of how I'm sort of, I'm sort of talking through him, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, there were parts where I definitely like you, because the every, you're hearing from everybody's points of view, but he's definitely um, kind of the, the mouthpiece of the family to a certain extent. And I could, I could, I assumed that that was a lot of your viewpoint, especially with the weather um, and mm -hmm. the city itself. Yeah, well, it's just a little, a little piece. But yeah, I think it does illustrate what you're talking about. Um, so here's Oscar, right? And he's walking around Pacoima. And he said, he, ex he examined the commercial storefronts, taking notes in his mind, fast food restaurants, churches, informer movie theaters, pawn shops, and check cashing money, transfer business on every other corner under the relentless August sun. He passed big sound stages where Hollywood magic was surely being created, 
and snaked in and out of residential side streets, observing life in the different houses he came across. Most of the people he encountered were Latino. They were his people and he felt right at home. When he was in high school, he had promised himself to walk all the neighborhoods of LA in order to be able to understand his city in all its complexity. As he continued to fulfill his goal over the years, he realized that the exercise would prove impossible. In every area he got to Rome, he confirmed what he already suspected. There were hundreds of cities within his city, each telling a different story. He'd need several lifetimes to understand its many incarnations. One of them, the most obvious one, perpetuated by many out-of-towners was the entertainment mecca, with streets and parks named after movie stars, familiar locations, and neighborhoods banned by the film industry due to shoot burnout. People who knew little about LA imagined everyone walking around with a screenplay soggy with sweat under their armpit. This was the birthplace of Hollywood after all, but in truth, Los Angeles was whatever you wanted it to be. And that was thanks to the constant influx of immigrants arriving with their dreams, not only from other countries, but from, but from other states within the nation. Even its famous palm trees came from somewhere else. He imagined a reality show host selling Los Angeles to a live audience. Are you a surfer dude hitting the waves? You'll fit right in. How about a hipster starting a gluten-free cookie brand or a new church? Of course. And is there a place for a young family raising small children? You bet. How about a retired couple wanting to play bingo all day? Indeed. High-powered executives? Yes. Lawyers, doctors, agents, and managers. Best place to thrive. Gym buffs, starlets, chefs, yoga teachers, students, writers, healers, misfits, trainers, nurses. Right this way, please. Are you into cosplay, improv, porn, roller derby, voyeurism, cemetery movie screenings, food truck, drag racing, AA, relapse, rehab, open mic, plastic surgery, wine tasting, biker meetups, karaoke, clubbing, SM or escape rooms? Come on over. Every race, religion, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, and food preference was well represented within Los Angeles County. And this is what Oscar loved most about his city. So there. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it makes me want to go walking around because I feel like same, same thing with the weather that you said, like it's not, it's not, uh, it's not always in our face. The weather seems like it's not changing very much or it's just constant. So we forget about the extreme instances of it. And I feel like we can get kind of um, compartmentalized in our neighborhoods too. Like, mm -hmm. I know that all of those things you just listed do exist somewhere in LA, even though I haven't seen all of them, but I know the ones, like, I guess in our neighborhood, we could say specifically the hipsters and the gluten-free cookies are uh, like common to our pocket in Los Feliz, but in all those other areas, all those other things do exist and all those other groups of people. But if you stay stuck in your bubble, you're never gonna encounter them and you're never gonna find them. Right. Right. And he had a knack for exploration. You know, he loved just, you know, driving around, stopping somewhere and then getting out of the car and just walking the neighborhood and just getting a feel for it. And it's amazing. We live, we really live in a town that is many towns. <laughs> and that's what's so great about it. 
Yeah. And with, with that though, the, the, the freedom that it offers, there was a, a quote of, uh, or well, a Patricia passage that I did put down that I wanted to read because with that freedom, Patricia also feels a little bit of a burden um, because of what all of the opportunity that is thrown at you and the options and the, the things that you're told you have the ability to do. Um, and this is also from August uh, where Patricia's walking around and reminding herself, she says, or you said, She'd go there to Griffith Observatory, oftentimes just to remind herself that because she lived in the wealthiest city of the wealthiest state of the wealthiest country in the world, she had been bestowed with the ultimate responsibility to thrive in her endeavors many times over on behalf of all the immigrants who hadn't been given the chance. Yep. And, and so I wanted to, I just thought that was such a, an interesting contrast to the opportunity that Oscar always saw and I think uh I think maybe Claudia I'd say saw it as well and Patricia definitely sees it too the the opportunity especially if she was up visiting in the bay um when she goes up to San Francisco sometimes um in California in general but if you could talk a little bit about those two ideas and how they really bump up against each other um, the, I liked how you phrase that the ultimate responsibility and how that can kind of weigh someone down when they're not sure how to fulfill it. Well, uh, yes, Patricia, uh, you know, she's young, she's 28. Uh, she's a, a, she's a social media ace, you know, she's, she's a guru and she works for brands. And she's very aware of all the different uh, causes, and and she's she has a big commitment, you know, with society, and um, and she's very aware of of her privilege in the sense that you know here she is in in a very wealthy city full of opportunity, uh, in 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 the wealthiest country on earth, you know, and. Um, she sees that not everybody has that kind of opportunity. So she wants to make it up to them, you know, and, 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 and not waste her, um, her own luck, you know, her own, I mean, she's, she's, she's lucky in many ways, but she also works really hard at uh, using her talent to, um, um, you know, to make, to, to do good, to, to really, you know, um, not only, you know, do the right things, but also do things right, you know, and, and, and so she's, she has this uh, sort of a mantra. And I want to see if we can figure out a way to really kind of gossip about the Alvarado sisters without spoiling too much of this book, <laughs> because they I, I loved each and every one of them. And one of my, one of my favorite, uh, favorite lines in the book too is Lola, who was a babysitter caretaker for the girls growing up, ends up uh, reviving that role for Olivia, the middle daughter's uh, girls as well. And at one point she asks Olivia or asks herself how the Alvarado sisters all ended up with such shitty husbands. 
<laughs> and I, I loved that because in the, it, again, with that calendar structure, you really kind of get to see how things play out. And like you said, you can ask yourself, what a, what a year, I can't believe so many things have happened. And I would start at the beginning of the book, looking at January and see these relationships unfolding a little bit as I'm first meeting everybody. And we go down the line a few months and I'm like, he is, Felix is really being an asshole. Like, <laughs> and you watch these events play out. And so I wondered if you could talk just a little bit um, about how you decided on the family dynamics. Um, first of all, having three daughters. Um, and we can talk a little bit about uh, the agency of all these women in this book who I all I loved so much. And, but then also to have them all be married um, and to not that great of guys. I'd say, I don't think Patricia's husband, Eric was a bad guy. He, I think he was a good guy um, because they, they understood each other. They communicated and they had a healthy relationship. Um, in my opinion, but uh, the just in general, they were all such complex, different versions of committed relationships. Um, and I loved that you got to see all of those play out. But in a family, like you said, it's not just one person's experience. You have all three compounding along with uh, Oscar and Kayla's marriage as well. And so how how you kind of drafted all those different relationships and found a way to connect them? Well, I wanted, I wanted to have, uh, I wanted to, to explore different kinds of relationships uh, from the very traditional marriage that Oscar and Kayla have, uh, where it's mom and dad and, you know, 39 years married, you know, the whole thing. Um, but then also, you know, I have had relationships like the ones Claudia, Patricia, and Olivia have, have in the story. Uh, so I draw a lot from my own experience, um, also from, gosh, family members. <laughs> 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 you know, friends and cousins and people I know. I mean, we all have relationships that some, some of them are, you know, wonderful. Some of them are so-so and some of them are terrible. And so I wanted to have a whole plethora, you know, have a, you know, um, a, a good amicable cordial relationship, uh, you know, but not necessarily a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. um, how about an absent, uh, you know, spouse, you know, another relationship that would be, you know, here's an absent spouse and, um, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you keep it together, you know, where there is no glue? You know, uh, uh, also, uh, you know, you. I mean, how many of us, you know, have a very nasty partner that we cannot, you know, get away from, that we cannot, that we have a hard time, uh, you know, uh, separating from because uh, there's a codependence, uh, the relationship is, you know, toxic, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's very hard to, to let go. And so uh, I sort of wanted to explore that. And there are many other modalities that aren't even in a book because, yeah. you know, relationships, you know, I think that's the toughest thing in the world, you know, relationships. And, and the book is about relationships, not only uh, between 
the three sisters and their spouses, but between the three sisters themselves. And so there is, uh, you know, the end of love, uh, but also new love coming. And, and, and so it's sort of evolving and coming and going, you know, and that's why um, I put in an epigraph um, that I just want to read. It's the very beginning, yeah. you know, um, and this is, this is by Jack Gilbert from his book, uh, Refusing Heaven. He wrote this beautiful poem that is called Failing and Flying. And there's a line there that really struck me. And I think it's at, the, it's at the heart of this novel when he says, I believe Icarus was not failing as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. And I really wanted to explore that because um, I had a marriage of 21 years myself and it ended, but it doesn't mean that we failed. I mean, we had children, we raised kids, we had a business, we bought a home. I mean, we, we built a life. And the fact that it ended doesn't mean we failed. We just came to the end of our triumph. And <laughs> that's how I see it. No, I and I, I loved that about how all of their relationships play out as well. I didn't, and it wasn't that it didn't feel like you were writing a fairy tale or trying to give people happy endings. It it felt like that chapter of their lives just concluded. Um, and I think that also echoes the structure of the book taking place over that year. We end in December and it. I know that they woke up the next day and continued to live and have all these crazy things happen to them. Um, so I, I did, I loved that, um, that epigraph as well. And it, it definitely felt that way with all of their, their lives and experiences that happened throughout this one year, which again, is crazy to think that everything that is packed into this book happened in the span of one year <laughs> to all of right, these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, but, uh, you know, at one point I asked myself, you know, am I, am I, you know, throws too much at these people, you know, uh, but the reality is I've had years like that. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had better years. I have other years that have been kind of calm, uh, but at the same time, I've had years that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, in the new year's dinner and I'm going, wow, what a <laughs> year, you know, all this stuff happened, you know, <laughs> so. Well, and, and where, where you leave them too, that you know that, like you said, once once that one chapter ends, once you're at coming to the end of a triumph of whatever uh, period you were in, you're starting a new one that may come to end in triumph again or may continue until however long. And so that that energy definitely flows through all of the things that are happening to this family and the choices that they make. You know that you can tell as they make these decisions that they're gearing themselves up for whatever's next. They're always looking towards the future and ready to move on to the next thing um, and believe that there is more opportunity for them, which again, goes back to Oscar's views of LA itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in that sense, it's a very positive book. Oh, it's extremely positive. It was such All an enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. Very positive. <laughs> it was and 
again, I'm like first page, I think, but I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. It, it doesn't quite start off positive. You're a little scared at first about what's going to be happening at the beginning there. Um, but it was, it was such an enjoyable read. And I was so grateful to, uh, to have the opportunity to get to take a look at it early. And I am so excited for our readers to have the chance to get their hands on it as well. Um, is there anything else about the Alvarados that you wanted to share or talk about uh, before we close up? That's not, I tried to not get too spoilery, but <laughs> there are so well, many things that. I, I think we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good. Uh, well, no, really, I just, what I want to share is the Alvarados to, um, to, to anybody who, who will want to take their time to, um, uh, to read this novel, uh, it's uh, it's it's really a tribute to LA, uh, a tribute to relationships and to family, and to sisterhood. And uh, I think that uh, uh, for me, it's a gift uh, that I want to share with everybody. And uh, you know, um, there's no reader without a writer. I think, uh, and there's no writer without a reader. So. Um, you know, if, if you want to make me a writer, you know, go ahead and read my novel and then I'll become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Maria, for talking to me today about LA weather. And for all of our listeners, you can get your very own copy of LA weather at skylightbooks.com or in store. Uh, you can come visit us in LA if you're in LA, or you can order from us online. Uh, thank you again to Maria Amparo Escandon for writing and giving us something to read and for sharing the Alvarados with us. And we hope to see everyone soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. This was awesome. Great. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. <laughs>